Okay, tonight's lesson in this uh, session is going to be God's unlikely tools, and we're going to be looking at um, the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Um, we're going to start there, and we're going to be looking at uh, some of the characters and how God used some unusual tools to influence the outcome in Joseph's life and uh, to work good in both the nation of Israel and the nation of Egypt. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for loving us, for providing for us. Thank you for your word that you've given to us, that we can apply it to our life, that we can trust it, and that it is uh, productive and useful in our lives. And I pray that we would uh, tonight hear your word and that we would uh, apply it uh, where needed. Thank you for loving us and for all that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The uh, song tonight that the choir sang fit in perfectly with the theme of this lesson tonight, God's Unlikely Tools. So many times we have a preconceived notion of how God, what does the blessing of God look like? And uh, so many times we, we get a notion of God's work in our life needs to look a certain way. And uh, God many times will use unlikely tools to bring about his will and uh, to work good in our life. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So I have, I believe I have seven different tools that God used in Joseph's life and also in Joseph's family life um, to work around, to work good. I'm going to begin with one verse here, though, in the New Testament. First uh, Corinthians 6.20. This is kind of the foundational theme verse for the lesson tonight. First uh, Corinthians 6.20. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so no matter what circumstances God decides to bring into our life, as Christians, it's our directive to give God glory and to glorify Him both in our body and in our spirit. Um, and um, that is something that we're going to find that Joseph uh, was able to do during his life. First of all, the, the uh, story of Joseph takes place in the book of Genesis, chapters 40 through 45. And I'm going to begin by just reading verse 40 and verse 3. It says, And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. The first unlikely tool that God uses in our life is the tool of prisons. And I don't mean a physical place like Oregon City Jail or the state penitentiary in Oregon. What I mean is God sometimes puts us into a restricted time of our life. Sometimes we're restricted by health, finances, maybe it's a job loss. Maybe sometimes we're restricted by age, we're too young or we feel like we're too old. Um, but all of these things that we find that come into our life, we can look at as a prison. And here, God directs Joseph's footsteps into a prison, and it was all part of God's perfect plan for his life. Joseph served others while he was in that prison. By the way, he served others in a way I find very fascinating. Joseph himself had been wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife, and, there, and that's why he found himself in prison. And we see a baker and a butler in there as well, both of whom, we don't know exactly why they were put into that prison, but Joseph was called upon to minister to them while he was in that prison. The prisons of life, whether we like them or not, they cause opportunities when none other would have existed. So many times when we find ourselves in a prison, it's an opportunity for us to minister to someone else who is going through the exact same problem or finds themselves in the exact same prison. Joseph never lost trust in God's ability to use him even during the prison, even during this prison time. 
What I find fascinating about Joseph is when he was a young boy, when he was 16, 17 years old, he was given a dream, and he never lost sight of that dream. Matter of fact, it's ironic to me that Joseph's dream at this point in his life had still not come to pass, and yet he still trusted in God's ability to speak to him through dreams. So many times, you know, the baker and the butler come to Joseph. His original dream that he told his father and he told his brothers and got him in so much trouble, it still had not come to pass. And yet, when the baker and the butler were in time of need and they needed interpretation, Joseph did not hesitate to go back to God and ask him for the interpretation of that dream, even though he himself had not realized his own dream yet. And so many times when we find ourselves in prison... We haven't, maybe our life hasn't turned out or is not in a position that we thought it would be. But yet God still calls upon us to help other people, even though we may feel self-conscious or unworthy to help those people. Number two, famines. Genesis 42, uh, chapter 42 and verse 5, it says, And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Of course, we know the story of Joseph. After he was put into prison, he was elevated out of prison. But God then used a famine to redirect the whole history of Israel and of Egypt. And so many times our prayers are centered around God's provision. And so when a time of famine comes into our life, we think that God, we can be tempted to think that God has abandoned us. And in reality, God uses famines as much as he uses feasts, or he uses prosperity. He'll bring times of leanness into our life, not to punish us, not, not even necessarily to correct us, but just to guide us or to teach us a lesson. God uses our inadequate supplies to work his will. It reminds me of the feeding of the 5,000. What a miracle that was. But if everyone had brought a lunch and everyone had plenty to eat, or the disciples had enough money to buy food. Remember what they said? They said, even if we had a hundred pennies worth, we wouldn't have enough. If they had had enough money, then God's mighty power would not have been shown that day. And so many times we, we beg God for provision. And we should, and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes God brings famines into our life as an unlikely tool to bring His will. God's provision and our preparation in life are not in conflict with each other. God can and will provide, but he still expects us to obey him. Um, I find it, again, interesting. Joseph was faced with a famine, but yet God gave him a little bit of a glimpse into what was coming. And because he did, he expected Joseph to prepare for that famine. And Joseph's preparation was not in conflict with God's famine. Any more than our preparation, Proverbs talks a lot about preparing, preparing for future, preparing for different seasons of life. Our preparation is not in conflict with God's ability to bring or take away famines in our life. And he uses those as tools, an unlikely tool that many of us, we would never choose. But God says, okay, I'm going to bring you into a prison. I'm going to bring a famine. Number three, mistakes. Mistakes that we make, mistakes that other people make. In Genesis chapter 42 and verse 21, these are the brothers. They're talking to each other. I always find this interaction very interesting. Um, They have kind of feel like they've been caught. This has been a years-long burden they've been carrying of guilt. They sold their brother into slavery, and they don't know what happened to him. Matter of fact, they think he's dead. 
And finally, it all comes to a head here in Genesis chapter 42 and verse 21. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Let me say in this tool here, this unlikely tool, the mistakes that we make, let me preface it by saying this. Sin always makes our life harder and more complicated than it otherwise would be. It is never a good idea to sin and then say, well, God will just work it all out. Sin is always detrimental to us and to those around us. James tells us that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. But God is great enough to use our mistakes to work his own will. Um, You know, when Adam sinned, God came through with a plan of restoration and redemption. Um, When David sinned with Bathsheba, after he humbled himself before God, God brought about his, his heir, Solomon, from that union. When Moses, I find this, I was listening to uh, someone the other day and they were, they were talking about the story. When Moses, he stood before Israel and he smote the rock for the second time. And when he smote that rock, he was punished by God. He was never allowed to go into the promised land. After 40 years of, of spending his life, you know, with a miserable group of people doing a miserable job that no one really wanted, his end of his life, he never even got to go into the promised land. But then we get a glimpse of God's mercy and grace in the New Testament when there's Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus in the promised land. See, our mistakes do not limit God's ability to use us. We can limit ourselves with the guilt and the shame. Matter of fact, pride is probably the biggest limiting factor that we can put on ourselves. But when we get over our mistake and we humble ourselves before God, God's able to use even our mistakes as unlikely tools to bring about His will. Um, Humility is the attribute that triggers God's sovereign power of turning a mistake or a sin into something that He can use to bring about a result that glorifies Him. God is powerful enough to take an utterly destructive action, like selling my brother into slavery, and turn it into a productive result. Our mistakes do not disqualify God's sovereign power. But it's for us to humble ourselves before God as David did, and um, that is what triggers the process of renewal, from recovering from those mistakes. Number four, difficult choices. If we look at Genesis chapter 43 and verse 39, this is, Abra- uh, this is um, Jacob, I'm sorry, Jacob is sitting at home in Canaan. The famine has been going on now for years, at least a few years. And he's already sent his sons one time to get food. And remember when they went to Joseph, Joseph, he kept one of them, I think it was Simeon, in prison. And then he sent the rest of them back and he said, do not come back here without your youngest brother, Benjamin. And that was a test he was giving them. Well, Of course, the brothers came back to their father Jacob, and now they need more food. And so Jacob is presented with a very difficult choice. Notice what he says here. This is Genesis uh, 43, verse 9. It says, I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. This is Judah talking. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. This is Judah trying to convince his father Jacob that he, we need to bring Benjamin back. If we don't bring Benjamin back, 
the man up there said he's not going to give us any food. And so our choices are starving to death here in Canaan or bringing Benjamin and risking losing your other favorite son. Jacob's choice was to risk the life of Benjamin or to starve to death in Canaan. However, we know the whole story. God kind of gives us a bird's eye view of what's going on here. And we know that Benjamin was never in danger. Joseph was not going to harm Benjamin. Benjamin was never in danger, but Jacob didn't know that. Um, our perception of life, our perception of life is almost never reality. Benjamin was not in any actual danger. Sometimes the most difficult choices that we face as they come on to us head on, in retrospect, we think, well, that, I can't believe that that was what I was worried about. You know, this or that. God had it all worked out in the end. God puts us in situations that we would never choose because he wants us to make choices that we would never make based on our limited knowledge. You know, if we knew every piece, if we were omniscient like God is, there are a lot of things that we would choose not to go through. I don't think Job would have chosen what he went through. But yet God says, I'm not going to give you all the information. You're going to make difficult choices, and I'm going to use some of that as, as an unlikely tool in your life to direct you, to guide you, to prompt you to do things that you normally would not do. Next, testing. Genesis 44, 4. Uh, it says, And when they were gone out of the city, this is Joseph testing his brothers, and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? God used Joseph to test the brothers in key areas of their lives. And there's another unlikely tool that God uses in our life as well. He'll bring people into our life. Joseph was not being mean, but I bet at the time his brothers thought, whoever this guy is is being really unreasonable. He's being really mean. Why is he lying about us? Why is he trying to show us in this light? And yet sometimes God brings people and events and situations into our lives to test us. Um, and this is what Joseph does to his brothers. The testing proved that they were no longer self-centered. It proved to them that they were no longer self-centered. They needed to come to the realization that they were different people. They were different men than they were years earlier when they sold Joseph into slavery. Now, they were terrified of Benjamin being taken away from them. They were no longer the jealous men that they were years earlier. Um, God always makes us confront whatever is holding us back. And then he provides a solution that is greater than we could have ever imagined. You know, we read the New Testament and we see Jesus over and over again. He confronts different people with their unique or uh, their, their own issues that they have. The woman at the well, he made her confront the fact that she had had many husbands and was living with a man that was not currently her husband. The lady who was caught in adultery, he confronted her with the issue not to condemn her, but to tell her, go and sin no more. Um, the thief on the cross, um, again, one of them turning to him, the other one not. But coming to, finally, the, 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 the choice to make, am I going to turn to Christ or am I not? The rich young ruler, who when Jesus said, go and sell everything that you have, he put his finger right on the problem that that man had. He could not trust God. He could not trust Christ. He could not accept 
that he was not perfect. And so God has a unique way of testing us. And he knows exactly the tests to put us through. Um, as you know, you know, I teach in the school, and we, we um, have many teachers in the school. And one of our jobs to do is to do testing of the students. We don't just stand up there and give out information. On occasion, we have a quiz or we have a test or a final exam. Why? So that we can show to us and to them what they've learned and what they still need to learn. And that's exactly what God does in our life. It's, a, it's an unwanted or an unlikely tool that he brings. Next, evil intentions. This is one that I do not like. I do not like when people have motives against me and have evil intentions. And yet God says sometimes evil intentions are exactly the tool that I'm going to use to help you and to help others around you. Genesis 45.5 says, Now therefore, this is Joseph speaking, Now therefore, be not grieved. He's talking to his brothers. Nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. What an amazing perspective on life. He didn't blame his brothers. His brothers had it. I mean, they really did make the decision. They really did hate him. They really did want him out of the way. Their motives were not good. This was not like, um, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, but it's for your own good. This is not what the brothers had in mind. The brothers had in mind elimination, destruction, out of the picture. And yet their evil intentions were not an impediment to God using it as a tool in Joseph's life. Uh, Genesis 45.8 says, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. You thought you were the one. You thought it was your motives. You thought it was your intentions, but it wasn't. The whole time, it was God using your evil intentions to bring about good. The motives of others are irrelevant to God's ability of using their actions for good. And this is a key to not becoming bitter in life when we are mistreated by those around us. The motives of others have absolutely no bearing on God's ability to use that situation for good. But it hurts our pride. But it hurts us emotionally and mentally. It is hurtful. But other people's motives actually play no part in God's ability to use a situation. Trying to change the motives of others is futile. It is... I can't reach into someone's heart. I can't reach into someone's mind. There's not enough words in the English language or any language to change someone's motives. We have to give those over to God and say, God, I trust that you can take this tool that I never would have invited into my life and that you can use it for good. Joseph accepted that God had used not only sinful men, but the sin of the men to preserve life and to bring a great deliverance. Um, their hate, their evil intentions. So pride prioritizes personal hurt over God's sovereign plan. And that's something we have to keep in check all the time in our own life. Because our own pride says, I don't deserve to be treated that way. I should never have uh, been subjected to something like that. And although that's true, we have to always put a check on our own pride and say, God, there's nothing I can do about it other than give it to you and ask for you to use it as a tool for good. God is always faithful. He used the jealous, hateful brothers. He used a lying, spiteful woman. He used a forgetful, self-centered butler. He used a fearful, desperate pharaoh. He used a destructive, debilitating famine. In God's economy, all negatives can still produce a positive. 
a negative plus a negative plus a negative plus a negative, and you can go on for infinity, always equals a positive in God's economy. Our job is not to put the pieces of our lives together, but rather to trust the one who will put it all together in the end. Now, I'll say this in the last nine minutes that I have here. When we do experience success, when the trial is over, when the tool has been used, when we find ourselves improved because of what God brought into our life, how should we handle that? Joseph, he gives us a few lessons here because eventually he does end up in the palace. Eventually he does end up with power. And how does he handle that? Let me say this. True success has only found God's way. When Joseph stood before Pharaoh, finally, to interpret this dream, he says to Pharaoh, and Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then Joseph interprets this dream to Pharaoh. Let me say this about Joseph. Joseph gave to Pharaoh the word of God, whether it was good, bad, or ugly. Think about this for a minute. Joseph had been mistreated. He was in prison for I don't know how many years. Now he gets his one chance in life to stand before Pharaoh. How tempting was it for him to say a really good interpretation of this dream? How tempting was it for him to say, this is a dream that says you are the greatest king in the world and no one will ever defeat you and just give me a good cush job and we'll call it good. But he didn't. He stuck with God's word no matter what it was. He didn't try to... He didn't try to embellish it to improve himself. So true success has only found God's way. Then you notice what Joseph does here in the interpretation of the dream. He identifies solutions. In Genesis 41, 34, and 35, after he interprets the dream, I think this is why Joseph got the job. Listen to what Joseph says here. This is kind of, it was really not solicited by Pharaoh, but here Joseph gives a solution to the problem that he just interpreted. Let Pharaoh do this. And let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years and let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. So Joseph did not just only clearly communicate the problem. He also answered, uh, he answered the what of, of how to fix it. He said, take up the fifth part of the land. He then said how by appointing officers over the land. He then said when in the next seven years, and he then said where to keep the food in the cities. So after he interprets the dream, he then gives a four-point solution for Pharaoh. And of course, Pharaoh says, okay, you're the man for the job. You came in here not only with a problem, but you came in here with a solution. Discretion and wisdom are keys to success. Notice what... uh, it says here, this is Genesis forty-one thirty-nine. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, after he heard Joseph give this advice, he said, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. And that goes with Proverbs 2, chapter 10 and 11. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. And so this is something that Joseph learned. How did he learn these things? Through the unlikely tools that God brought into his life. And then another thing that Joseph kept in mind as he experienced success was that success is hard work. Success is hard work. I always find it interesting that, do you know that God did not need Joseph to save the world? God did not need Joseph to save for seven years to save the world. We know this because in a few centuries, God's going to rain manna down from heaven. 
So it wasn't out of God's power or sovereignty to just say, Joseph, I don't need you. I will just rain down manna from heaven. You don't need to prepare for anything. But Joseph was commissioned by God for this job. And he took it seriously, and it included hard work. And he spent seven years working very hard, not because God needed his hard work, but because God needed his faith and his obedience. So success is uh, tied to hard work. And then lastly, I'll just say this. Embrace the problems. Um, Even with all the tools that God brings into our life, we're still faced with these problems. And so many times we pray for God to take problems away. But in reality, the very problems that we want God to take away are the very ones that God is using uh, to bring about good. Joseph would not have been needed except there was a problem that needed to be solved. Um, he would still be sitting in prison, but, God, but he said, okay, God said, I'm going to use this problem to elevate you because of your faith. Not because I need you, but because I, I, I want to reward your faith. I want to use you because of your faith and your belief in what I can do. We often want the success of solving problems. We want the position that Joseph got. We want the success of authority and power, except... We, don't want, um, we often want the success of solving problems without the problems themselves. So many times we want what comes along with solving a problem, but we want God to take away the problem. And God said that's not how it works. There was great stress and strain as millions of people. You know, sometimes, I'm, I bet there were days when Joseph sat in his palace. I'm sure he lived in a pretty luxurious place. I'm sure there were days he sat in that palace and he thought, man... Those days in the prison were so much more simple. I have millions of people who literally are dependent on me and my work for their very livelihood. Um, If you've ever been in a riot or seen a riot on TV, um, you know that when people get hungry, they tend to get violent. And there's nothing that people won't do. And yet Joseph had to keep a cool head. And I'm sure the stress and the strain of administrating Feeding the world was, was um, heavy on his shoulders. Uh, there was great stress and strain as millions of people faced starvation. And all of the trouble was delegated to Joseph. Genesis forty one fifty five, And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And what did Pharaoh say? And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do. That's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of weight. That's a lot on one person's shoulders. And yet, through years and years of God using unlikely tools in his life, he got to the point where God trusted him with that immense responsibility. I'm going to finish by reading four verses from the New Testament. These are four verses that should um, that tie this together for our lives as Christians. I already read one of them at the beginning, 1 Corinthians 6.20. For ye are bought with a price... Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Then Romans 11.36, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And I'll finish with Philippians 4.12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And that was Joseph's life's verse as well as 
Paul's life verse in the New Testament. He knew how to thrive both in the difficult circumstances that were molding and shaping him and also in the palace after he had been given the great responsibility of his life. And so just a little lesson uh, from the book of Genesis on God's unlikely tools. We shouldn't be surprised when God brings those unlikely tools into our lives. It means he's investing in us and using us uh, for good in this world. Let's go ahead and pray and then we can move on to our next session. Father, thank you for loving us and for providing for us. I pray that we would trust you, that we would put our faith in you uh, day to day as we face circumstances that we would not choose, but you've chosen for us. I pray that we would give them to you and that we would yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.